This is episode 351 of the AWS podcast, released on January 12, 2020. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello everyone and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. So I'm Alicia here with you. Great to have you back and I'm joined by my regular co-host, Nikki Stone. Happy 2020, Nick. Happy New Year. I'm so excited to be back. Uh, so it feels so great to be back on the podcast too. It is very exciting. Yeah, but it's a, a, a big year ahead for our listeners. We're looking to introduce even more good content, keep that regular cadence of the updates going. We say it every year, we're going to try and do more update shows more regularly, but let's let's make it happen this year. We have to be serious about it. <laughs> Here's my fun, scary fact for the day. We are now closer to 2050 than we are to 1990. Oh, that's the year I was born. <laughs> that's scary. Well, that's the year I started in the workforce, Nikki, so uh, showing my age. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> now, before we get into the updates, I think there's a, a really good thing we should um, we should recount. Nikki was very busy during reInvent season because – uh, she's changed roles and she was launching a service as well. So why don't you give us a quick, a quick, uh, I guess, um, summary of w- what happened last year <laughs> at the end of the year? <laughs> so there. many things. Uh, so I changed roles uh, in during reInvent season, um, which, by the way, I don't recommend, but it was still actually very enjoyable uh, because I changed roles and then I owned a category. So we launched Amplify for iOS so I joined the Amplify team and uh, it was the first time we were going to launch Amplify, the framework for iOS, and I got to own the predictions category. So I got to basically design it um, and then build it all the way through and then launch it at reInvent. So I designed essentially a collaboration between Apple's products and ours. So you get the best of both worlds in machine learning. Very cool. And what was the customer reaction? Because on top of that, you got to do two presentations about it as well. I did two breakouts, yeah. Uh, the, what, do, what do customers think? There was clapping. There was cheers. People <laughs> were really excited about the uh, the integration because actually when I make requests to machine learning APIs, I actually make requests to both Apple's and ours, and then I get you back the best result that you could possibly get. Um, so basically nice. it's super effective. Very, very cool. It was a really cool experience. I actually got to announce it too because it hadn't quite been announced yet. So in my first breakout, you know, the applause broke out. (laughs) Nothing like it. It was definitely a a one-in-a-lifetime experience. Really enjoyed it. Uh, excellent, excellent stuff, and congratulations on on the new role. And um, Nikki will be continuing to with the co-hosting duties. That was one of the uh, requirements and stipulations. Of course, it was <laughs> of your new I role. I would never leave you behind, Simon. Of course, it was. <laughs> yeah. No, everybody, everybody's supportive of it. I will definitely be continuing my podcasting duties. Very, very good. Let's get into some updates and let's start with analytics and Amazon Kinesis Video Streams is now available in nine more regions. So if this is a service you've been waiting for, it's now available uh, in Ohio, uh, Canada Central, uh, Sao Paulo, London, Paris, Seoul, Mumbai, Hong Kong and Singapore, as well as the existing ones that were already there. And this is a really useful service. I've actually used it quite a lot myself. I Bit of a fanboy, I have to say, because it lets you securely stream video from connected devices into AWS for real-time machine learning, storage, playback, and batch-oriented processing and analytics. So you don't have to worry about all the back-end stuff, but you can be ingesting and streaming video in real-time for millions of devices, and you can store that data, encrypt it, index the data. You can access it, play it back. It's super powerful, some really interesting stuff you can do with it. The other nice thing is it also supports real-time media streaming using WebRTC. So this lets developers easily stream real-time two-way media. So think home security, camera-enabled doorbells, baby monitoring, pet monitoring, kind of you name it. It's it's pretty cool. I could wax lyrical, but I'll stop. <laughs> it sounds really cool. Got to watch everything going on at home. Some more analytics-related updates. The uh, Amazon Managed Streaming for Apache Kafka service now supports Kafka version 231 for new clusters. So this provides new features and bug fixes, which is great. And Amazon EMR now supports AWS Private Link. So if you want to just access your data without traversing the internet, uh, you now have support for that. 
Amazon Kinesis Data Analytics now supports Apache Flink 1.8. So if you want all the improvements that are available for that, uh, you're good to go. There's also a bunch of other improvements, including a Amazon DynamoDB Streams connector, eight new SQL functions, SQL pattern detection, uh, improvements in recovery speed and memory usage, a whole bunch of goodness there as well. There's also another uh, update for Amazon MSK, which is uh, open monitoring with Prometheus. So many people use Prometheus as a uh, open source monitoring system for time series analytics. You can now uh, enable you to monitor Amazon MSK using things like Datadog, Lenses, New Relic, Sumo Logic, or a Prometheus server. You can easily migrate your existing monitoring dashboards to Amazon MSK. Gives you a lot more flexibility for those types of things. And last but not least in analytics is our old friend Amazon QuickSight. It now has some new statistical functions and analytical functions as well. So uh, some new math functions to do more calculations. So things like logarithms, natural logarithms, exponent, square root, and absolute functionality. So my uh, year 10 maths teacher will be very pleased with that. And it also now supports uh, level aware aggregations of rank, dense rank, and percentile rank functions. So you can use uh, these to create really interesting business related metrics. It also now has support for Athena workgroup associations as well. So if you're reporting off Athena, it will respect and show those workgroups as well. And it will also allow you to uh, connect the data in a Presto data source within VPC to build dashboards as well. So really cool new features there. Wow. They were busy. Uh, moving on to the topic of application integration, AWS Step Functions now supports AWS Private Link. Uh, so now you can hit Step Functions from your VPC-enabled Lambda functions and other services without traversing the public internet. Uh, so you can access Step Functions while keeping your network traffic within the Amazon network using these interface VPC endpoints that are powered by AWS Private Link. And there's a bunch of these that, that we're going to be talking about throughout the episode. So uh, when we hit on them, we'll just mention private link and, and keep on rolling. But uh, now you know what we're talking about. <laughs> it's really like expanding the world of serverless every time that happens, I feel like. Um, application auto scaling now provides scaling activity updates via Amazon Event Bridge. So application auto scaling now publishes to Amazon Event Bridge when a scaling policy scales your resource to the configured maximum. You may have set a maximum bound for cost control, but this event notification gives you the visibility to check in and ensure that operating at a maximum bound does not pose a risk for your application. The notification is available for all resource types that are supported uh, by automatic scaling by application auto scaling, which includes the EC2 spot fleet, ECS services, DynamoDB tables, and global secondary indexes, along with Aurora replicas, EMR clusters, SageMaker endpoints, AppStream 2.0 fleets, Comprehend document endpoints and AWS Lambda functions. Amazon MQ introduces throughput optimized message brokers. Amazon MQ supports uh, these message brokers that are backed by Amazon Elastic Block Store. And what they are is they actually reduce the number of required brokers and the cost of operating high volume applications. Throughput optimized brokers are ideal for use cases such as high volume order and text processing. And they're designed for applications that require low latency, high throughput, and have message data available redundantly of the message broker. So they're now available through Amazon MQ. And lastly, Amazon SQS now supports one minute CloudWatch metrics. Uh, so SQS will now publish one minute metrics to Amazon CloudWatch, providing you more granular monitoring for queue status with continuous visibility into the operation of your queues in order to quickly respond to changes in your workloads. Previously, SQS only published metrics in five minute intervals. So now you can choose between one minute or five minute metrics. Nifty. Moving on to the topic of business applications, Alexa for Business now has end of meeting reminders, intelligent room release and meeting room utilization metrics. And this is very apropos, Nikki, because you are fighting to get into the room you're recording from today it's funny, for I just this reason. <laughs> I really needed this like about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> exactly. Because uh, essentially uh, what this will do is it'll Alexa will tell you uh, when it's time to end the meeting. And I'm sure we all want <laughs> that kind of reminder because goodness knows I've been in meetings that I've wanted to end very quickly too. So this will uh, will do this for you. Also, uh, it includes intelligent room release. So if people don't check into the room but they've booked it, it will release it so that other people can get the room. So nice. And it also lets you see meeting room utilization, et cetera. It's very cool. Yeah, I really needed this, definitely. <laughs> 
Let's move on to the topic of compute. Amazon EKS has the beta release of Amazon FSX for Luster CSI driver. So if you want to take advantage of that fully managed high-performance file system that is really designed for things like machine learning, HPC, video processing, financial modeling, etc., you can now plug it in using this uh, beta driver to make sure it suits your needs. EKS also now supports uh, network access restrictions to Kubernetes cluster public endpoints. So you can now specify which of the allowed IPv4 address ranges in CIDR notation. So this lets you give an extra level of control to who you can access uh, those particular public endpoints. Now remember that uh, EKS supports public and private endpoints for the Kubernetes API server, which is secured using a combination of IAM and native Kubernetes RBAC controls. The private endpoint is accessible only from within your cluster's VPC, but previously the public endpoint was open to the internet and there was no way to restrict clients from making a request to it without disabling it. Now you can actually choose to specify ranges if you want to, to keep that uh, under wraps. DNS resolution for EKS clusters using private endpoints. You can now automatically resolve to the private Amazon EKS cluster endpoint when using a peered VPC. This allows you to easily access a cluster using AWS Direct Connect from on-prem to an EKS cluster that is only accessible within a VPC. So previously, if you only enabled the private endpoint for your cluster, there was no automatic way to dynamically get the IP address of the private endpoint within the VPC which made it difficult to connect to the private cluster endpoint from outside the VPC, uh, such as using a peered VPC and AWS Direct Connect. Now, when only the private endpoint is enabled, Amazon EKS automatically advertises the private IP addresses of the private endpoint from the public endpoint, making that a lot easier. Amazon ECS launches a new CLI to launch and manage containerized applications easier. This one's very interesting. Uh, so they mm. released a brand new CLI with an emphasis on usability and developer productivity to quickly launch and easily manage applications on ECS powered by Fargate. And the new CLI is in preview and it provides a simple declarative set of commands with examples and guided experiences uh, to help customers deploy very fast. The CLI creates all the resources and artifacts required to deploy to ECS and, this is my favorite part, configures best practices on behalf of the customer, allowing them to focus on writing application code. Uh, it's a very user-friendly design. It includes exampled command prompts and guided walkthroughs, and then again, uses those best practices to make it super easy, even if it's your first time deploying to ECS. Really excited. That's very nice. That I also like that it's available on, on Mac, Linux, and Windows as well. So uh, we get people testing that on all the platforms. Totally. Session Manager is now available directly from the Amazon EC2 console. So now you can securely connect to your EC2 instances directly from the console. So this is a browser-based interactive shell that you can get into EC2 Linux or Windows, and it gives you additional flexibility to connect from either the EC2 or Systems Manager console. So this is a really useful way to uh, control access and make it easier to, to jump on board. Sessions are logged to AWS CloudTrail and a record of session activity, including commands and responses can be stored in Amazon S3 or Amazon CloudWatch log. So from a security standpoint, this is a great way to see who's doing what and when, but also making it easy to get into the system. A few other EC2 related updates, uh, Amazon EC2 Fleet now lets you preferentially use available capacity reservations. So now you can make sure that uh, it'll look up those capacity reservations for the instance pool specified and we use them before launching any on-demand instances on net new capacity. So this gives you far more flexibility in terms of how you satisfy your capacity requirements and giving you your compute at the lowest possible cost. Amazon EC2 Spot now also provides instance launch notifications via CloudWatch events. So this way you can see what's going on and you can set up simple rules to match events and CloudWatch users can now route these events to one or more targets or streams. So for example, you could set up a rule that automatically relays the launch event of every EC2 spot instance to an SNS topic to get a push notification. It also lets you hook into the spot request lifecycle to do custom actions or workflows when those spot instances are getting fulfilled. And this will be available for all spot instances launched via all available methods. So EC2 auto scaling, EC2 fleet, spot fleet, run instances API or the request spot instances API. And this is launched via a, a simple call with a single additional parameter and away you go. So it's very easy to get up to date. Amazon EC2, M580 and R580 instances are now available in the Tokyo region. In addition to that, 8X large and 16X large sizes of M580 and R580 instances 
are now also available in the Canada regions. Uh, these instance types were launched in March of 2019, and uh, so now they're available in these two additional regions. Moving on, attach multiple elastic inference accelerators to a single EC2 instance. So you can now attach multiple elastic inference accelerators to one EC2 instance, and with this capability, you can use a single EC2 instance in an auto-scaling group when you are running inference for multiple models. By attaching multiple accelerators to a single instance, you can avoid deploying multiple auto-scaling groups of CPU or GPU instances for your inference and essentially lower your operating costs. That's a very nifty update because uh, sometimes you just want a lot of inference capability and uh, this actually gives it to you without having to scale the compute up unnecessarily, which is very nice. Totally, and you can definitely reduce your costs. We like that. Another quick update, AWS Elastic Beanstalk uh, has launched the Windows Web Application Migration Assistant. So this is an interactive PowerShell utility that migrates ASP.NET and ASP.NET Core applications from your on-premises uh, IIS Windows servers to Elastic Beanstalk. Uh, this is an open source project available on GitHub and it lets you migrate an entire website and its configuration to Elastic Beanstalk with minimal or no changes to the application. Now, after the assistant migrates the application, Elastic Beanstalk automatically handles the ongoing details of capacity provisioning, load balancing, auto-scaling, application health monitoring, and applying patches and updates to the underlying platform. If you need to also migrate a database associated with your web application, you can separately use the AWS Database Migration Service or Cloud Endure Migration or the Windows to Linux replatforming assistant for Microsoft SQL Server databases. So this is a really great way to uh, move some of those older systems that maybe are running on a bit of out-of-date hardware onto a brand new self-managed platform. That one is that one's a big one. That one's huge. I love that one. Uh, moving on to the topic of customer engagement, Amazon SES now enables you to configure DKIM using your own RSA key pair. Uh, so SES now includes a feature called Bring Your Own DKIM, which allows you to use your own public-private key pair to configure domain keys, identified mail for your email sending domains. DKIM is an email security standard designed to make sure that messages are not altered in transit between sending and recipient servers. Uh, so this feature is useful for customers who use the same domain to send email across several AWS regions or across separate AWS accounts. Uh, additionally, if you use SES to send emails on behalf of your customers, your customers can send emails that are signed using your own DKIM keys. Amazon Connect announces AWS CloudTrail support for APIs. Amazon Connect now logs all API calls to CloudTrail, a service that obviously enables governance, compliance, operational auditing, and risk auditing of your AWS account. So using CloudTrail, you can log continuously, monitor, retain, and respond to Amazon Connect API activity. And you can also define a workflow to get notified when an agent's security profile is changed via API. Moving on to the topic of databases, and I'm a big DynamoDB fan myself, I've got to say, and there's been a couple of updates around that topic which are really interesting. Firstly, the NoSQL workbench for Amazon DynamoDB now has support for IAM roles and temporary security credentials. So now when you're using the workbench to build uh, your scalable high-performance data models and making your testing a bit easier, you can now use this with temporary credentials and IAM roles, which is the way you should do it. So this is a great update that's available there. The other really interesting update is CloudWatch Contributor Insights for DynamoDB, which is in preview. It's now available in 15 additional regions. And this is a really handy tool because it gives you an at-a-glance view of your DynamoDB table's traffic trends and helps you identify the most frequently accessed keys. And this is a really good way to understand where those uh, – choke points or blockers or we may have misdesigned your data model, uh, you can see it very, very quickly. I know this is a hugely useful capability, so it's available in a lot more regions. That's really cool. It is indeed. If, however, you need a, a more network-based uh, database, then Amazon Neptune is the one for you, and it now supports cross-region snapshot copying. So this allows you to copy those snapshots which are either automatically or manually created across different regions. So customers can use these cross-region snapshot copies with Neptune to simplify and streamline the data manipulation operations that are associated with building and running global graph applications using both Apache Tinkerpop Gremlin and RDF Sparkle. Uh, what this basically does is creates a storage volume snapshot of your cluster, back up the whole DB cluster and not just individual databases. Then you simply choose to copy the snapshot across, give it a new name when you send it to the destination, and away it goes. Now the first copy is a full snapshot copy, even if you copy an incremental snapshot, uh, but then from then on you're going to get incremental changes as well. 
Amazon Elasticash for Redis adds support for Redis 5.0.6 with additional stability and metering improvements. Asto Elasticash has added support for Redis open source version 5.0.6, and this is a bug fix release with various improvements in stability and memory management. This release improves the stability of Elasticash or Redis when dealing with a large number of new concurrent connections and with low memory conditions. Additionally, customers can now monitor replication latency with sub-second granularity. Moving on, Amazon Document DB is now available in the Canada region. So that's really cool. If you use Amazon Document DB with MongoDB compatibility, you can now access it in the Canada central region. Very nice. Let's talk developer tools. And uh, Amazon Corretto is a really handy library to open source, no cost, multi-platform production ready distribution of the Open Java Development Kit or Open JDK. And now you can use Corretto YUM and Corretto APT repositories for a convenient and familiar way of keeping these installations up to date and work it into your pro existing processes, I should say. Also, if you'd like to use uh, curl, you can now use the Coretto permanent URLs to ensure your scripts always download the latest release. And even though you can download your Docker images from Docker Hub, if you want to remain inside the AWS cloud, you can now also use the Coretto Amazon Elastic Container Registry instance as your source of Docker images as well. So now you've got that sort of uh, ubiquitous way to get that uh, access to that particular library. And, uh, and Nikki, I know from a developer standpoint, that's super important. Definitely. It's really cool. It's an awesome announcement. Uh, moving on in obviously what is my favorite topic, AWS Code <laughs> Pipeline now supports Atlassian Bitbucket Cloud uh, in beta. So you can now easily connect your Atlassian Bitbucket Cloud source repo to your AWS Code Pipeline, allowing for the automation of build, test, and deploy phases uh, in your release process every time there's a code change. Uh, so Code Pipeline is a fully managed continuous delivery service that helps you automate pipelines you previously hook up GitHub, other other uh, repo uh, repositories, and now you can do Atlassian Bitbucket in beta. AWS Cloud9 is now available in six more regions. Uh, so you can now take advantage of Cloud9 in Sydney, Mumbai, Stockholm, Seoul, London, and the Canada Central regions. Cloud9 is just a cloud-based IDE that lets you write, run, debug code uh, inside your browser. It's really helpful for integrating with serverless applications as well. It also helps you uh, maintain maintain lots of uh, independent development environments if you're kind of a polyglot developer, and like me, you keep breaking your laptop because you keep installing clashing libraries. <laughs> this kind of, it lets you keep a kind of separate view of the world based upon what you're developing in. Totally, um, Cloud Nine's a great resource. Lastly, in uh, my favorite topic, AWS Code Build now supports cross account resource sharing. So Code Build now allows you to securely share your Code Build resources, such as projects and report groups, across AWS accounts or within your AWS org. Uh, previously, you couldn't share your, your build details or test reports generated in one account with other AWS accounts. But you can now use the AWS Resource Access Manager to securely share your Code Build projects or report groups across accounts or your AWS org. Very nifty. Moving on to the topic of end-user computing, Amazon AppStream 2.0 now has dual monitor support for browser-based streaming sessions. So this is for sessions that are started on web browsers. For dual monitors, a maximum display resolution of 2,560 by 1440 pixels per monitor is supported. If you want to use more than two monitors, and why wouldn't you? Or you need a bigger uh, degree of display resolution, you can download and use the AppStream 2.0 client for Windows, which will get you access to that. Amazon AppStream 2.0 is also in scope for AWS's latest system and organizational control audit cycle, which is SOC. Uh, so this compliance certification applies to all AWS regions where Amazon AppStream 2.0 is available. Moving on to the topic of game tech, a consistent authorization experience for Amazon GameLift is brand new. Uh, so they announced and released a new batch of updates just in time for the holidays that enable you to experience updated IAM features that are consistent with other AWS services. So with this update, you have deeper granularity and less complex permission management with resource level controls that allow you to more granularly gate access to all of your game lift resources and tag-based authorization that enables you to tag resources and grant permissions on those tags uh, across a group of people for your game lift resources. That's a really good update, and it's also interesting that uh, a whole bunch of GameLift feature updates recently included the ability to create fleets that are backed by Amazon Linux 2. 
And this is really important because then you can run your game servers on next generation C5, M5 and R5 instances and you get better cloud formation support. So if this is a technology of interest to you, there's been a lot of change in this space. Definitely. Uh, moving on, Amazon Lumberyard Beta 1.22 is now available and has added a new asset dependency graph and made editor performance improvements. Uh, so they released the, Amaz the Amazon Lumberyard Beta 1.22, which includes 97 new improvements, fixes, and features to Amazon's free cross-platform 3D engine that enables you to create the highest quality games, connect games to the vast compute and storage of the cloud, and engage fans with Twitch. Lumberyard Beta. Do you know a bit about Twitch, uh, Nikki? Uh, no, I don't know anything <laughs> about Twitch. No. Okay. Lumberyard. I'll talk to you about it later. <laughs> Lumberyard Beta 1.22 introduced a new asset dependency system, which enables developers to easily determine all of the assets that are required for a game release, as well as their dependencies. That's really awesome. So with this new dependency system, developers can now tag, evaluate, and deploy packaged assets in a few steps versus days or weeks of development effort. Uh, this new version also includes editor performance improvements and new tools for helping developers optimize and debug their games, including an asset memory analyzer, memory overrun detection tool, and a new PhysX gem for debugging physics issues. That's really interesting. That's another thing I could have used in high school. <laughs> <laughs> debugging my physics issues. <laughs> for real. Very nice. Let's move on to the Internet of Things. AWS IT Device Tester 1.6.0 for Amazon Free RTOS is now available. And this includes optional tests for over the air over HTTPS to qualify your Amazon Free RTOS development board. So very useful new capability. The AWS IT Greengrass now supports Node.js 12 and has a new tool for device setup. And this simplifies the Greengrass core installation and configuration and enables you to quickly start using Greengrass. You can get up and running uh, gets you from installing Greengrass Core on the device to testing a Lambda function in minutes. So uh, moving quickly is a good thing. Moving on to the topic of machine learning, new AWS Deep Learning Containers with TensorFlow 2.0 support. So the AWS Deep Learning Containers are available today with TensorFlow 2.0, and this latest version provides significant updates to the existing API, simplifies eager execution, offers a new data set manager, and more. You can launch new versions of the deep learning containers on SageMaker, EKS, self-managed Kubernetes on EC2, and ECS. Very nice. Been some updates for Amazon Lex. Amazon Lex now has ISO compliance. So it is now one of the services under ISO compliance for ISO 9001, 27001, 27017, and 27018 standards, which is great. It also has HIPAA eligibility. So if you're using protected health information, this is really relevant to you. And the other nice change is it now supports conversation logs. So now you can store that chat history uh, into an S3 bucket and have text input into CloudWatch logs as well. So instead of having to write your own custom logic to do this, you can get audio and text logging for your Lexbot straight away. Um, you should uh, enable slot obfuscation to mask any particular uh, sensitive information. And they also will match up your intent and missed utterances as well. So this really lets you monitor and manage your uh, conversations that are going on, making sure that you're tweaking and tuning uh, the environment. And this capability is available in North Virginia, Oregon, Ireland, and Sydney as well. Amazon Personalize now supports contextual recommendations. Uh, so Personalize is a machine learning service which enables you to essentially personalize your website, app, ads, emails, and more with custom machine learning models that can be created in Personalize with no machine learning experience. My favorite thing. Uh, so today they've <laughs> actually announced contextual recommendations recommendations, which you can improve relevance of recommendations by generating them within a context. For instance, device type, location, time of day, etc. Contextual information is also useful in personalization for new and unidentified users, even when the past interactions of these users are not known. So to use this feature, you just provide contextual information as part of user item interactions or events and data to personalize and then train a context aware model using the HRNN metadata or personalized ranking recipes. And you can then query for context aware recommendations by providing the real time context for a user at the time of inference. That is very nifty. And does that get called from your new service? We are. We do not use Amazon Personalize yet, but I was going to say this is my second favorite category, <laughs> obviously after uh, DevTools. 
because uh, now we're hitting all of the machine learning API announcements. Speaking of which, we have another one. Amazon Transcribe now supports vocabulary filtering. Uh, so Transcribe is our automatic speech recognition service that makes it really easy for you to do speech-to-text capability in your apps using um, a simple API. And so now you can instruct Transcribe to automatically mask or remove specific terms from the output transcripts based on a vocabulary that you specify. So for example, you can use a vocabulary filter to automatically remove profane words from the transcription results for content moderation. You do not need to scrub inappropriate content from each transcript anymore. You can create a vocabulary filter once and then apply it to all of your transcription jobs. And you can also create multiple vocabulary filters and choose which one should be used for which job. Uh, so I think that's really, really cool. It's available for batch transcription at no additional cost. Super cool announcement and really great for content moderation. Transcribe, though, wasn't quite done. They actually now support job queuing for batch workloads. Uh, so by default, each account has a service limit of 100 concurrent transcription jobs in a region. Until now, when that quota was exhausted, you had to wait for existing jobs to finish before you could submit more jobs. Uh, now, job queuing will allow you to submit up to 10,000 jobs and queue your jobs for execution until slots become available. And when slots become available, the jobs are then processed in a FIFA order, first in, first out. And it's available at no additional cost. That's a good capability. Uh, Amazon Textract is now PCI DSS certified and it now extracts even more data from tables and forms. So it can now uh, get more data out without any... Uh, pre-configuring, et cetera, because essentially it continuously improves over time and you get the benefits of that. So table models now works better with complex table structures that contain split cells and merged cells, which can often make it hard to align cell values to the correct column header or row header. It's also improved identifying rows and columns for cells with wrapped text, uh, even with tables that have uh, with, don't have any explicit boundaries as well. It also now does a more accurate determination of cells with content across multiple lines and it also has improved the forms model to give more accurate results for key pair identification as well. Now, these apply to many types of documents, but are particularly pronounced for documents where tables and key value pairs are present within the same page. Uh, now, Amazon Textrack correctly identifies key value pairs embedded within a table. Uh, another quick update. Um, so... I'm not a doctor, even though I have doctor-related handwriting and two uncles who are both doctors. Um, but I'm very happy to announce that uh, Amazon Comprehend Medical now has ICD-10-CM and RxNorm ontology linking support. Now, because I'm not a doctor, I have no idea what that means, but I'm sure it's very important to medical people as well. Uh, so now you can actually get these codes out automatically uh, from your doctor's notes or patient health records. And the nice thing is that the deep learning approach to ontology linking provides much higher accuracy than existing rules-based systems by understanding the context each entity is found in. I agree with you, Simon. My handwriting also looks like a doctor. <laughs> I thought I was going to be a doctor at one point because... It's just so bad. I used to get D's in handwriting. <laughs> uh, definitely. Finishing off the machine learning category, Amazon SageMaker GroundTruth adds auto segment feature for semantic segmentation labeling. So GroundTruth has added the auto segment feature to the semantic segmentation labeling user interface. This feature increases labeling throughput, improves accuracy, and mitigates labeler fatigue. It simplifies the task by automatically labeling areas of interest in an image with only minimal input. You can accept, undo, or correct the resulting output from auto segment. Uh, so with this new feature, you can work up to 10 times faster on semantic segmentation tasks. Instead of drawing a tightly fitting polygon or using the brush tool to capture an object in an image, you draw four points, one at the top, bottommost, leftmost, and rightmost of the object, and GroundTruth takes these four points as inputs and uses the deep extreme cut algorithm to produce a tightly fitting mask around the object. That is super cool. That's very cool. I like that one. Moving on to management and governance. Application auto scaling now provides notifications via the AWS Health Service. So this will now push information into the AWS Personal Health Dashboard and the AWS Health API when a scale-out operation for one of your DynamoDB tables or global secondary indexes is prevented because a throughput service limit has been reached. So this gives you actionable feedback to request a service limit increase. Uh, 
AWS Systems Manager Automation now supports targeting all instances in the account and region. So essentially this is a great automation capability. So it now supports running an automation execution that targets every instance in the account and region. So this is really useful in terms of maintaining consistency in your fleet when you make configuration changes or run a specific set of commands. AWS Systems Manager Automation also now supports adding tags to your executions, so it's really easy to sort and filter your executions in different ways. So you might choose to filter by resource, purpose, owner, or environment. So for example, you could say, I'm gonna run an automation that's a remediation for your RDS instance by adding multiple tags, remediation and RDS. This lets you query for your workflow-based tags, I should say, and resource-based tags, and you can also have different tags for different environments. So for example, production and test. So you can patch your production fleet separately to your test fleet, which is always a good thing to do. You can test them in advance, et cetera. And remember, this also lets you manage your cloud and on-premises infrastructure. So it really helps you speed up the solution to operational problems. AWS OpsWork for configuration management now supports tagging and tag-based access control. So OpsWorks uh, configuration management now supports assigning tags to OpsWorks CM servers and backups for both OpsWorks for Chef Automate and OpsWorks for Puppet Enterprise. You can define access controls using tags and AWS IAM policies to control access to resources and actions. Tags are key value pairs you can use to organize resources, search, create cost allocation reports, and control access. For example, you can allow your dev team full access to your staging ops work CM server, but restrict access to your production server. So that's great for more granular access control. AWS Service Catalog supports deprecation of product versions. Uh, so the AWS Service Catalog has announced support for the deprecation of product versions. So with the release of product version guidance, admins can prevent new launches of a product version while allowing their use and updates in existing stacks. AWS Service Catalog allows organizations to create and manage catalogs of IT services that are approved for use on AWS. Uh, so now you can make sure that if a version is deprecated, only users with running stacks of that version are able to use it, and new users are not able to provision the stacks with the deprecated version. That is very nifty. Now, Nikki, there were some, some big AWS CloudFormation updates, and they cover things like uh, API Gateway, Code Pipeline, S3, IAM, ECS, RDS, e, uh, Elasticsearch, uh, Lambda, and more. And one of the reasons for all these launches were for obviously so a lot of things focused around reInvent, but our new community prioritized requests that are on the public coverage roadmap. So the team have released over two dozen new and updated cloud formation resource types and a whole bunch wow. of new behaviors. It's it's pretty cool. I mean, there's a, a, a big long list. Um, things like creating a HTTP API, JSON web tokens authorizer and stage for HTTP API or specifying VPC endpoint IDs of an API to create Route 53 aliases in an API gateway. Um, specifying parameters in AWS step functions to enable express workflows, uh, create an analyzer for AWS IAM access analyzer. Like just, I'm, I'm going through the list. I'm like, I could use that. I could use that. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool now that customers can directly influence that. Use zip file and Node.js for AWS Lambda runtime. Ooh, so handy. Hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's lots of, lots of cool updates there, but also if there's stuff that's not there, uh, Again, go to the public coverage roadmap and vote on what you think is needed. And that that's you know, r really the way we like to iterate on these services is, is with the customer feedback. And certainly uh, CloudFormation is one that, that pretty much every customer has an opinion on and wants to contribute to. So it's a good way to, to get, it, uh, get it going. It's really cool that they're doing that now. Um, moving on to the topic of media services. A secure AWS Elemental Media Package Live Endpoints using CDN authorization. So you can now restrict direct access to AWS Elemental Media Package by securing requests for live content using CDN authorization. With CDN auth, content requests require a specific HTTP origin header and auth code. Media Package verifies this code before it serves any content. Uh, so a media package functions independently or as part of AWS Elemental Media Services, the family of services that form the foundation of cloud-based video workflows and offer the capabilities you need to transport, create, package, monetize, and deliver video. And now takes advantage of CDN auth. Very nice. Moving on to networking and content delivery in the Amazon CloudFront team have been very busy and introduced two new really interesting things. Firstly, there are eight additional real-time metrics available in Amazon CloudWatch. So this gives you even more visibility into the performance of your CloudFront traffic. Uh, these metrics include cache hit rate, uh, 
origin latency, error rate, amongst others. So this gives you far more information about how that interaction is going. The other thing that's changed, and this is really important if you use Amazon CloudFront access logs, is that there are seven new data fields in these access logs. So these uh, give additional visibility into the delivery of your content. So the included new ones are the C port, which is the port number of the request from the viewer, time to first byte, which is self-evident, the X edge detailed result type, so the result, if it's an error, what actually happened, um, SC content type, SC content length, uh, SC range start and range end as well. Now, this all comes automatically, it's free of charge, obviously you get um, uh, the S3 cost for the storage of that. But this is important, these fields get added to the end uh, of the log entry. So you, we maintain backwards compatibility with the previous log file format. But if you're doing anything funky with the way you're processing these logs, you probably want to know that there are these new uh, new fields there. AWS Global Accelerator now supports Amazon CloudWatch metrics. So starting today, you can now monitor the traffic processed by AWS Global Accelerator uh, via CloudWatch. You can view the total number of incoming and outgoing bytes processed by your accelerator. And also you can view the total number of new TCP or UDP flows from clients to your application endpoints every minute. This allows you to, for example, view the geographical distribution of your user traffic and monitor how much of it is local or global. That's super cool and super handy for pretty much everyone. Um, <laughs> Amazon, Amazon Route 53 resolver endpoints for hybrid cloud is now available in the Stockholm region. So you can now use Route 53 resolver endpoints for hybrid cloud configurations in the Stockholm region. Some updates on the topic of quick starts. There is a quick start update for SharePoint Server on AWS Cloud. So this quick start automatically deploys SharePoint Server 2019 on the AWS Cloud in your choice of multiple server or single server topology. It takes about one to two hours, so a nice lunch break and you can get your SharePoint up and running. There's also a new quick start to deploy .NET Serverless CICD on the AWS Cloud and also to deploy CI/CD that is not serverless as well. So you have the choice of, of one or the other and uh, it takes about 40 minutes to get up and running. So I'm thinking that's more of a sort of coffee break, maybe morning tea situation there, Nikki. Definitely. <laughs> Moving over to the topic of satellite, which also I like this is generally too. a new category. <laughs> it's a cool one. <laughs> yeah, it is. AWS Ground Station is now available in the Stockholm region. So if you're not familiar with GroundStation, GroundStation is a fully managed service that lets you control satellite communications, process satellite data, and scale your satellite operations. And it has been continuing its global expansion to multiple geographic regions to ensure customers can communicate with their satellites around the world. So now we have a Stockholm Ground Station. Very cool. I think, uh, Nika, we need to start to think about the launch of the AWS podcast satellite for global distribution. <laughs> Moving I, on. I'm in for that. Yeah, for that. <laughs> Moving on to the topic of security. Security Hub has now got updates and additions to the AWS security finding format. So this now supports additional resource types, uh, including a bunch that I'm not going to go through because there's too many to list. But what this basically does is gives you a comprehensive view of your high priority security alerts and compliance status across your AWS accounts. So now you have one place to look that aggregates, organizes, and prioritizes all your security alerts from multiple AWS services, things like uh, Amazon GuardDuty, Inspector, Macy, IAM Access Analyzer, uh, AWS Firewall Manager, and also from AWS Partner Solutions. And you can continuously monitor your environment using automated compliance checks based on both AWS best practices and industry standards like the CIS AWS Foundations Benchmark. Now, you can also take action on these by using CloudWatch event rules. So you can send the findings to ticketing, chat, SIEM systems, uh, security automation and response systems, and other instances, instance management tools, I should say, to get going. Now, this is available on a 30-day free trial. It's definitely something worth looking at because it can help you uh, understand what's going on in your environment. And I did mention the AWS Firewall management uh, Manager capability, and you may say, well, hang on, AWS Security Hub doesn't support that well yes now it does uh, so now you can use that together and it also now integrates with amazon detective as well now amazon detective lets you uh, lets you analyze investigate and identify the root cause of security findings or suspicious activities and so this now locks into the adibus security hub so that you can get one view of everything best service name ever amazon detective i mean i'm just I'm so in for that. <laughs> well, the, the question is, which detective voice should we do? Is it like, uh, it can't be Inspector Gadget because he's more of an inspector. Uh, I'm thinking maybe Kojak or, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a more modern detective, but I'm, I'm failing miserably. 
Yeah, Inspector Gadget is the one I know. <laughs> That's just sad. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Yep. Moving on, AWS Security Token Service now supports AWS Private Link in 13 new regions. Uh, so AWS Security Token Service, Service is announcing support for Private Link in Hong Kong, Mumbai, Osaka, Seoul, Singapore, Sydney, Canada Central, Frankfurt, London, Paris, Stockholm, Sao Paulo, Northern California. Yeah, that's it. And Northern California. There were so many regions. I just wanted to keep going. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so 13 new regions. A security token service is a web service that enables you to request temporary limited privilege credentials you can use to access your resources. That's really cool. Very nice. A few updates for AWS Certificate Manager. So AWS Certificate Manager Private Certificate Authority now emits state change events. So it will emit events into CloudWatch events so you can get a near real-time stream of system events that tell you what's happened. Uh, this is really useful to react selectively to those events in the cloud. So you can uh, configure alerts, build event-driven workflows, trigger custom logic based upon events that were sent for certificate issuance, revocation, or other types of operations. So for example, uh, you can send a CloudWatch event to notify you that something unexpected occurred, like a certificate was issued from a protected root CA with limited access, or your certificate re revocation list fails to update. Basically, you can see what's going on and take action. Another update is that the AWS Certificate Manager and Private Certificate Authority are FIPS 140-2 endpoint compliant. Uh, so this is useful uh, for validation in US regions to protect sensitive information. And lastly, AWS WAF improves request logging for context around match rules. So they've added a new log field, terminating rule match details that allows you to identify the area within a request deemed to be suspicious by SQL I or XS detection rules. This new log field can help you in troubleshooting false positive scenarios, allowing quick identification of problematic areas for whitelisting. It can also help you locate areas within requests that are frequently targeted by malicious actors. That's really awesome. Definitely need that. So that's now available in AWS WAF. See, and it's interesting. It, it's interesting, Nikki. You say WAF, I say WAF. So is that a potato potato situation? Is it a coastal thing? Is it an Australian? I don't know. It's interesting. But uh, I don't know. Is that like a guid guid situation? Well, we can get into GIF and GIF if you want to, <laughs> or Amy and Army. Anyway, let's not go there. Let's talk storage, Nikki. What do you got for Our us? Listeners are probably rolling their eyes about now. So. Move on. <laughs> uh, moving on to the topic of storage, new enhancements for moving data between Amazon FSx for Luster and Amazon S3. Uh, that's awesome. So Amazon FSx for Luster, it's now really easy to synchronize file data and file permissions between Amazon FSx and Amazon S3. FSx has quadrupled the speed of launching FSx file systems that are linked to S3 buckets as well. Uh, so Luster works natively with Amazon S3, making it easy for you to process cloud data sets with high-performance high file systems. And when linked to a bucket, an FSx for Luster file system transparently presents S3 objects as files and allows you to write results back to S3. Until today, FSx provided file system commands to export new or changed files from FSx to S3, but these commands did not copy file permissions or provide the ability to monitor or cancel the transfer. Uh, so now these enhancements allow you to actually copy file permissions and cancel the transfer if you need to. So you can cancel writing new or changed files to S3. Um, and you can also e use it to easily orchestrate data export tasks from cloud native workflows, such as Lambda-based serverless applications. In addition to transferring file data and permissions, this API also allows you to transfer symbolic links file ownership metadata, and file timestamps to S3. Very, very nifty. Uh, an update for Amazon Elastic File System. It now supports service-linked roles. Now, this is a type of IAM role that lets you easily delegate permissions to AWS services and get additional transparency into when they're used on your behalf. So this is all predefined and set up for you, and there are lots of examples uh, in the documentation um, and this is really important because you can't delete a service-linked role if it's used by an EFS file system. So this prevents you from 
inadvertently revoking any of Amazon EFS's required permissions to your resources. Amazon Data Lifecycle Manager now enables automation of snapshot copy via policy. So now you can create policies which, along with create, uh, will also copy snapshots to one or more AWS regions. Now these can be scheduled for up to three regions from a single policy and retention periods are set for each region separately. So you can have kind of a, a tiered structure in terms of your uh, data lifecycle management. Another update for Amazon FSx, uh, it is a, of course a uh, FSx for Windows uh, and High Performance Linux uh, are two versions thereof and they both have enhancements in the Adibis management console. Uh, the ability is now available to view Amazon FSx CloudWatch metrics and the ability to add and update tags directly from within the console. Data deduplication, user storage quotas and other recently launched administration features are now available on all Amazon FSx file systems. Uh, so these file systems have now made data deduplication, user storage quotas, and other admin features available to all of them. Uh, until today, these features were available only on file systems created since November 20th, but now storage administrators, storage administrators can use these features on any existing Amazon FSx file system. The administration features launched are now available are data deduplication to reduce storage costs associated with redundant data, user storage quotas to monitor and control user level storage consumption, file share management via PowerShell to automate migration, synchronization and ongoing management of file shares, user sessions and open file, files management to restore activity on files locked by inactive users, and enforcement of in-transit encryption on all file system connections to meet your compliance needs. And moving on to our final topic, training and certification. There are now digital versions of two APN partner classroom courses. So if you can't get into a course, you can now do the AWS Solutions Training for Partners VMware Cloud on AWS Technical Course and the AWS Solutions Training for Partners Containers on AWS Technical Course as well. And there is a new course that helps those in machine learning roles prepare for certification. This is a new exam readiness course for the AWS Certified Machine Learning Specialty Certification Exam. Again, available digitally and via classroom. This teaches you how to interpret exam questions, apply concepts being tested by the exam, and allocate your study time. And you'll also have a chance to work through some sample questions to understand the rationale behind correct and incorrect answer choices. Now, this is part of the overall machine learning developer and data science learning paths and is a really useful way to upskill yourself in this particular domain. And uh, clearly, Nikki, of late, you've been diving deep into this particular topic. Yeah, that is, that's a really cool course. Highly recommend it. Very, Super very awesome. Well, it's great to be back for, for 2020 and uh, it's, an, it's another uh, packed episode today. So, uh, Nikki, thanks so much for, uh, for helping me get through it all for our listeners. And uh, where do people find you? Uh, people can find me on Twitter. Uh, my name is K-N-E-E-K-E-Y 23. Feel free to tweet at me or Simon with suggestions or concerns or anything regarding the podcast. We love to hear from our listeners all the time. And thanks for listening for our 99 updates today. We know it was long. <laughs> and we do indeed love to get your feedback. Uh, Twitter is a good place to do that. Uh, at Simon underscore Alicia is me as well. I'm not as active a Twitter user as a uh, as Nikki is, call it the generation gap or whatever. Um, but uh, AWS podcast at Amazon.com is the other place to send your feedback. We do love to get your feedback, uh, positive, negative, uh, improvement, whatever. It's always great to hear from from listeners and uh, really do get a lot of joy for that. I know, Nikki, you and I both enjoy when people uh, drop us a note and say, hey, this really helped me with my certification or I got a job or whatever. It's, it's pretty nifty. Totally. We love to hear from you. And don't worry, I'll relay information to Simon if you do uh, tweet. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Nikki will print the tweet out and place it on my desk because. Uh, <laughs> yep, I'll fly all the way to there. Yeah, just fantastic, to do that. fantastic. And like I said, thanks again for listening. Do tell others about the podcast. People are often uh, pleasantly surprised to know there's one out there. And until next time, keep on building.